Happy or the Hump. You are the salt and light. Be happy in Jesus. As uh, as we think about uh, those guys who are just the the ultimate tough guys of our day, uh, and maybe a little before some of you, but. Chuck Norris is a martial art expert and has been in all kinds of action movies and then was on Walker, Texas Ranger, and that's still in syndication even for uh, the joys of those of you who missed it the first round. Uh, He is the perennial tough guy. And as we think about the perennial tough guy and his reputation, there have been some great Chuck Norris jokes that have gone uh, around over the last few years. So like... Like, uh, when Chuck Norris's parents had nightmares, they used to go to Chuck Norris's room. You know, things like that. When the boogeyman goes to sleep every night, he checks his closet for Chuck Norris. That's right. All right. There are no streets named after Chuck Norris because no one wants to cross Chuck Norris. All right. Time waits for no man unless that man is Chuck Norris. If paper, paper beats rock, and rock beats scissors, and scissors beats uh, paper. What beats all three at the same time? Chuck Norris, all right. But my favorite one, and I told the boys I was going to try to tell this without, without laughing, is uh, Chuck Norris and Superman had an arm wrestling battle. And after the arm wrestling battle, uh, Chuck Norris was too proud to say who really won but the loser had to wear his underwear on the outside the rest of his life. (laughs) I heard read an interesting story. So why do you start a sermon with Chuck Norris jokes? Because I read an interesting story on Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris, a few years ago, when he was shooting film down in Texas, went to a small uh, diner to grab dinner away from everybody else. And I guess in small town Texas, a guy walks in and says, hey, you're in my booth. And so he graciously got up and moved to another booth. And later the guy realizes, dude, that's Chuck Norris. And so he uh, goes over to the table and says, man, I, I am sorry, but why did you get up and move? You're like Chuck Norris. And so the, it said he was very gracious and kind and they sat down and shared a few words together. The the picture is, is sometimes when someone has power or someone has prestige, they can allow that to go to their head. But Jesus teaches us that we are going to find happiness when we are humble or we respond in meekness. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And in Matthew chapter 5, and again, as we're walking through these Beatitudes, I encourage you just to kind of uh, jot these in your memory as you go through. In verse number 5, it says, Blessed are the humble. Many of your versions will say, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And with that, let's pray. God, thank you for your word and the truth in it. And uh, Lord, I I pray today that you would just speak to us 
and uh, speak in our life on being humble and meek. And then, God, may we live a life that represents the humility and meekness of the Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. As we open Jesus' first sermon, he really is preaching on what are the keys to finding happiness or blessedness. That word blessed is the word which means happy. It can picture internal, uh, an internal bliss or internal satisfaction, a sense of inner peace in our own heart and life. And Jesus really opens up his ministry. After the last word in the Old Testament is the word curse, he begins his first sermons preaching, you can be happy or you can be blessed in this way. And he begins by saying, blessed are you when you are poor in spirit, or you recognize your spiritual poverty, that you have sin in your life, and you're better off recognizing that here and now. And when you recognize your spiritual poverty, remember, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, then God can provide his spiritual provision for you. When you recognize that you're spiritually poor and can't get to heaven on your own, God has a provision so that he can give you the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, blessed are those who mourn. That gives a picture of repentance and and feeling uh, a sense of conviction over our sin. And as we respond to that conviction over our sin, then we can be comforted. So as we mourn about our spiritual condition, then the Lord Jesus tells us and shows us that God is going to provide spiritual salvation for us. So these first two pictures of the Beatitudes, we're blessed when we recognize spiritually we're disqualified from a perfect heaven with a perfect God. We're poor in spirit and we mourn about that. And as we do, then we can find the kingdom of heaven and we can find comfort. And now Jesus comes back with this third statement that blessed are we when we are humble, are meek, Because then we will inherit the earth. The picture is, is that humility is going to be the key to happiness and inheriting the earth. Now remember, we're poor in spirit. We have nothing to brag about. And Jesus, as he confronts the religious leaders in this day, the Pharisees and Sadducees who love to stand in the synagogues and make their big long prayers and stand on the corner of the streets and lift up their big religious exercise, he says, no, it's not about that. It's about what's going on on the inside of your life. And on the inside, when there's the poverty of spirit and when there is mourning and when there is humility, then there is the key to happiness. So let's jump in together. He says, blessed are the humble or are the meek. So let's think about this definition of humility. Sometimes when people think about humility, they think, oh man, you know, I'm just kind of going down, feeling bad about myself and looking down upon myself all the time. Listen, that's not necessarily humility. That's just bad self-esteem. That's not even understanding who you are in the eyes of the Lord. So the picture is, as we think about the definition of humility, we think of meek, gentle, submissive, and and soft-tempered. Those are the kinds of words that we begin to think of. When the Lord is speaking and saying, look, blessed are the meek, he's saying, blessed are you when you are gentle, when you are soft-tempered and submissive to the things of God. 
When you have this inner disposition in your life that doesn't seek the limelight, that doesn't look to put on a show, but instead submits to the will and the way of God and is soft in your temper and dealing with the people that are around you. The best picture of the Greek word that is used here is a picture of a wild horse. A wild horse that would be out, strong, running, free, and then that wild horse would be taken in. And over a period of time, that horse would be broken. And then that horse would have the bridle with the reins on it. And that horse then would move at the hand, gentle hands of the rider. A gentle pull, and the horse with that bit in his mouth continually turns this way or that way. Did the horse lose its strength? No. It was just strength that was brought under control, that was now gentle and submissive and soft-tempered. At one time, that thing didn't want anybody on it or near it or around it, and it would throw them off and get angry, and now it is gentle. And now, with the slightest pull of the reins, that horse will move at one's command. That's what the Lord longs for us. That as he speaks to us through the scripture and through the spirit, that he would have control over our life, that he would find gentleness. And so we think about only not only the definition, but we think about the instruction of scripture. And as the instruction of scripture, we think about how do we receive the word and how we receive the word of God deals with this exact thing. In James 1.21, now you know James 1.22 because it says this, be doers of the word and not hearers. Okay, everybody knows that verse. But James 1.21 says this, wherefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, putting the sin out of your life, basically, he says this, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive God's word with meekness. Now, how do you receive God's word? Some people, they hear a sermon or they open the scripture and they think, oh, I'm not listening to that. I'm not going to have anything to do with that. There will be the ignoring of the word. Then some will argue and say, oh, I don't, I don't believe that's for today. So they'll argue the word. Then there will be some who will just rationalize themselves. Yeah, it says that, but I'm not, I'm not that bad compared to those other people at church. I mean, have you seen them? But he says, no, we're to receive with meekness, gentleness, humility, the word, the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. How do you receive God's word? When God speaks to you through the scripture and says, do everything without complaining, love one another. And be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. And he begins to pull on those reins of your life and says, look, you need to turn on that. Are you ignoring, arguing, rationalizing? Are you receiving God's word with this spirit of meekness? But it's not only true when it comes to being receptive to the word, but, but it also comes to the sense of listening and being receptive to God's spirit as well. In Psalm 25 and verse number nine, it tells us that the Humble, he guides in justice. The humble, he uh, teaches in, uh, instructs in truth. The humble, he instructs in truth. So that I'm not only receptive to the, to, uh, the word, but also to God's spirit. The humble, he's going to 
guide in justice and he's going to instruct in truth. So I'm not only receptive to the word of God, but I am receptive to the spirit of God as God works. It's the spirit and the scripture as they both move together. So that as God's Holy Spirit begins to speak to me, and God's Holy Spirit begins to guide me, and God's Holy Spirit begins to show me, and God's Holy Spirit begins to convict me. We looked this morning in John chapter 16, where the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. We looked at that in our Bible study today. And that picture is, is that we have to be receptive and sensitive to the Lord through the person of the Holy Spirit. So we are sensitive so that when the Holy Spirit says, "Uh uh-uh, no, that's not the way to go. Or listen, when the Holy Spirit says, you need to encourage that person. You need to share in that offering. You need to go talk to that waitress and ask if you can pray for her. You need to think about your neighbor. And the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us and we're sensitive to the things of the Lord. Humility is defined. But not only is humility defined, but we also in Jesus' life find that humility is demonstrated. In Jesus' life, humility was demonstrated. Now remember, as we think about Jesus, Jesus had all power. He has all power. That in John chapter 1 and verse number 1, it tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is fully God. And it says that in Him all things were created, and without Him nothing was created that was created. And and the picture is, is that through Jesus, everything was made. So Jesus is the creator. We also see that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and following. We find that he is the creator and sustainer of all things. So Jesus has all power. But Jesus demonstrated perfect submission to the will of God, and he demonstrated humility and meekness. Jesus had all power, but Jesus submitted his life to the will and the way of the Father. Fully God, all-powerful, all authority in his hands, and yet Jesus would submit. So that in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 39, you know this verse. Where Jesus is in the garden and he's praying, Father, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours be done. There's that submission aspect. There's this aspect in which Jesus was perfectly submitted to the will of the Father. Or Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 7 where it tells us that Jesus was fashioned as a man. He took on humanity. But he came obedient, uh, he became obedient unto unto death. Or he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death on the cross. He humbled himself. He was gentle. And even on that way to the cross, and even through the mocking, soft-tempered, gentle, submissive to the Father's will. That's a picture of Jesus. He had all power and all authority, but he lived in perfect submission to the will of the Father. What a challenge that is for us. But then if you have your Bible still in Matthew chapter 5, slide over to Matthew chapter 11 for a minute because I want us to think about Jesus as as he demonstrated, not only uh, that he lived in this perfect submission, but, but he demonstrated this meekness in Matthew chapter 11 as... He calls people to himself because he says something very interesting. Matthew chapter 11, verse number 28. He says this, 
Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me. Because now listen, Jesus is going to describe himself. Because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That word lowly there is the same word that is used in Matthew chapter 5 as the word meek. Earlier this year, we gave about 200 copies of this book out. I have about two copies left in my office. All right, I brought five copies up for first service. I have two copies left in my office. If you will promise me you'll read it, I will be happy to give it to you. But I just want to read one little excerpt out of this. The Greek word gentle here, when Jesus says that I am I'm lowly or I am gentle, here occurs only three other times. Matthew 5, 5, where Jesus just said, blessed are the meek. In Matthew 21, where Jesus is humble and mounted on a donkey when he's riding into Jerusalem. And then in 1 Peter 3, where a woman is, is told to, uh, to put on the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. But this is what he says that, I, that you just need to hear. Some of you need to hear this today. Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Jesus, when he goes to describe himself, the very first word, I am gentle, I am meek. I am humble. I am lowly. And sometimes we get the picture like this, that Jesus is just out to watch us when we mess up. And Jesus has this stick in his hand, and he is playing whack-a-mole with believers. That every time he sees somebody's head pop up, he's going to pop them. Here, 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 here. Oh, yeah, you blew it here? You said something wrong here? I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And that picture is so false. Jesus loves us as his children. And he says, I am gentle. I'm meek. I'm not easily exasperated. I am not reactionary. I'm not coming to point the finger. Now, are there times when Jesus has to discipline? Absolutely. Are there times when the wrath of God is shown? Yes. Are there times when discipline is necessary? Yes. But to understand the picture, even that for believers is done out of love. Jesus should be known for open arms, not a pointed finger. I love that picture. You realize as a believer, if you have trusted Jesus, that you are not under condemnation, you're not under God's wrath, that God loves you, you're in his family, and he treats you like a family member. Now that doesn't mean that you don't get discipline, because good parents discipline their kids, and God disciplines his. But it's not necessarily until you're a parent that you realize Sometimes the discipline hurts you a whole lot more than it hurts them. And the truth is, is that gentle heart of Jesus is there with open arms to reach out to us. And I believe that it hurts the heart of the Lord Jesus when he disciplines his kids.
just as it hurts the heart of an earthly father. Jesus demonstrated humility. So now, once we've seen this command, blessed are the meek, and we've seen what this looks like for us and how scripture says we're to receive and be sensitive to the word and to the Lord and Jesus' demonstration. So what are we supposed to do in response? Well, I'm going to slide through some verses quickly here and you probably won't have time, but I just want to encourage you to fill your blank in and then uh, write the reference down. But humility is then to be shared. In our life, once we recognize, look, I'm poor in spirit and I, I deserve to do nothing but to mourn over my sin and the Lord calls me now to be humble. How am I to live as a humble lover of Jesus in a world that is filled with darkness? How am I supposed to live like that? First off, through humility, I'm to walk worthy of the Lord. I'm to exemplify this humility in my life through a worthy walk. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this, therefore, I, the prisoner In the Lord urge you to live worthy of the calling which you have received. Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, live worthy of your calling of salvation. Jesus went to the cross for you. Now you are an ambassador for him. Live worthy. But then he says this in Ephesians 4.2, with all humility and gentleness. Live for Jesus. Walk worthy with humility and gentleness. And gentleness. We not only think of our worthy walk, but we think of our personal testimony as well. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter is challenging believers to to be ready to give an answer to those that, that speak or question or wonder about the faith that's going on in our life. In verse number 15, in your hearts regard the, the Lord Christ as holy. Ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Be ready. Be on guard. Be ready to defend the faith. And then he says, yet do this with gentleness and respect. A few years ago, I had someone knock on our door in Georgia and uh, came in, coming to, to share a different way of salvation and different beliefs about Jesus. And uh, I ate their lunch, all right? I mean, I, I think I won the argument. But I got fired up in the process, and I walked away thinking, won that argument, and then the Lord just laid on my heart with a load of bricks the sense of, yeah, you won this battle. But did you win the war of showing kindness and love and graciousness and pointing to Jesus, not just arguing the answers? I don't know about you, but I've never seen anyone won to Jesus through an argument. I never have. I've seen lots of debates on television. Matter of fact, there are groups that go around, an atheist and a, and a Christian, and they debate each other and they both go to their hotel and they do it again the next night and neither one of them changes each other's mind because ultimately it takes more than just an argument. Obviously, we know it takes the spirit of the Lord working on someone's life. But can I tell you, be careful not just to win battles and lose the war. That as you share your testimony, as you give a defense for the faith, make sure that you do that with a spirit of gentleness and humility. 
I'm afraid sometimes that we as believers are out there and so bombastic that we lose that picture of speaking the truth in love. We speak the truth. We yell the truth. But are we doing it with a sense of love? Now, listen, understand, and those of you who have been here for a while know, I'm not saying we compromise on anything. We do not. We do not compromise. We do not become jellyfish. Uh, we're not jello. We don't have jello in our convictions. We are convicted that the Bible is true, that Jesus is the way, that all are sinners. There's only one way to heaven. That's through him. We have those things, and we stand on those things. But when we speak, we speak with a sense of love. And we recognize that even that person that disagrees with us was made in the image of God. And because they were made in the image of God, they deserve respect as one of God's creatures, as one of God's creation. So, walk worthy. Our personal testimony. What about our biblical instruction, our scriptural instruction? As we think about that, we we go back to the passage in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, where where Paul is writing and, and telling Timothy, this young preacher, he says that I want you to to instruct your opponents with gentleness. There were people that were fighting against him in the church, some that were false prophets in the church. And he said, look, the key is instruct, but do it with gentleness. And then in spiritual restoration in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, he says when a brother falls and is overcome by sin, you who are spiritual, you seek to restore them, but you do that with a spirit of humility and gentleness. You know, it's easy for us to get fired up and in the flesh. And the Lord calls us, be gentle. Be meek. Now, there may be sometimes, man, the Lord just whips back and, and snaps that bridle and says, you run, you go, you speak. But just make sure that you always do it in love. Humility is to be shared. But then we think about the reward or the consequence of humility. Notice what he said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 5. He says, blessed are those who are humble, for they shall inherit the earth. First off, those who are humble are going to be blessed. They're going to be blessed. That means they're going to be happy. There's going to be an internal satisfaction. It's not like, hey, man, I just won this argument against these people who came to my porch, and now I'm walking away thinking, oh, why, why did I do, why did I say it that way? Why did I come across like that? Why did I happen to look arrogant in my own mind now looking back at that moment? Instead of thinking, man, I, out of love, gave a a, a, a good picture of who Jesus is. There's a blessing. There's inward satisfaction, inward peace. There's this internal bliss that comes when we're humble. Now you can find that people who are always trying to puff themselves up, they, they never can get enough and they're never satisfied on the inside. And there's always one more person's ego that they seek to please and always one more word of commendation that they want to hear. And the Lord says, No. True blessing is going to come on the inside. Happy are the poor. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. And then the humility is going to be rewarded because we're going to inherit the earth. 
In Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 6, it gives a picture during the thousand-year millennial reign where believers will uh, reign upon the earth with the Lord. But ultimately, what we find is as believers, we are co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that everything he receives, we're ultimately going to receive with him. And one day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we will receive it with him. It will be ours. And we will be with him forever. There is great joy in that. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And we're going to remember Jesus. And as we think about the meekness or humility of Jesus, we recognize that Jesus, out of the sense of our need, because we were poor in spirit and sinful and separated from God, he went to the cross, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. And so today, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we ultimately celebrate the humility and meekness of Jesus. Jesus went to the cross for us. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin for us. Jesus rose again from the dead for us. And we celebrate that with this moment of, of looking back and thinking, man, I remember his, his body that was beaten and bruised for us. I remember his blood that was shed for me. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we do this in remembrance of the Lord. So for those of you who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you can't remember someone that you've not met. And so I would say for you, it's probably better just to let the elements of the Lord's Supper go by. This is a time for believers as we share together and celebrate together. But if you are a believer today, Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that before we partake of the Lord's Supper, we need to make sure that we have examined our own hearts. Because he says, because some of you are are acting and living one way and then you're coming into church and acting all churchy and taking of the Lord's Supper like you're God's gift to the church and everybody else around you and yet your life is far from him and your actions don't match up with your words. And he says, because some of you have partaken of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy fashion, some of you, the Lord says, I've made you sick, and some of you are even asleep. That means that the Lord has disciplined them, maybe even to the point of death. So today we celebrate the Lord's Supper. I don't know where your heart is, but if you don't know Jesus today, then this is the time when you need to say, Jesus I humble myself. I can't get to heaven on my own. I trust you. I recognize I'm poor in spirit and I mourn over my sin and I trust what you did on the cross for me. That's the only way of salvation. And then for those of you who are believers, this is a really good time to take a moment and reflect on your own heart. And with that, let's pray. Lord, as we do take this next uh, time of music to reflect on our hearts, may this time be a time when we're submissive to your spirit and we listen to your voice and how your scripture has spoken to us today. In your name.